This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. You are going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, look, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is intercepted! Intercepted! The next time the ball! Every story. If we just continue to push and grind and go and take care of our guys, it's going to be built to last. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner, Justin Hopkins. And... Matt Bagley from 96.1, 580, The Game. I'm still grinning from ear to ear that we got Mike Bellotti last week. But now we get to look ahead. Uh, Dave Bartu is going to join us in a little bit. Also, Jacob Archer, new Scoop Duck writer. I had him on my radio show last week. Really liked him. Good kid. Excited for that and a uh, sneak peek on Ducks practice. Justin, what are we doing, man? Yeah. Ducks. Getting close, getting really, really starting to think about game planning for Auburn now. Yeah, it's really, it's really hard not to jump on here and go all in on Auburn and start talking about it, and still be a week and a half away, knowing we have another podcast to record, you know, in between now and then. So, right, you know, yeah, I'm, you know, we'll talk about it a little bit. Obviously, the Ducks are gearing up for it. Um, you know, Red Red Jacobs report, which will be published here. Well, it'll be published before we publish this. But um, this podcast, but anyways, you know, that uh, there was a lot of, you know, 2025 Ducks wearing uh, blue uniforms indicating Auburn. So however they were doing that, whether that was defense or offense or whatever the case might be, clearly Oregon themselves have started Auburn prep, if you will. Wow. Which makes sense because, you know, at some point you have to travel to Dallas, you know, next week. So your week will probably be a little bit off, Mm -hmm. you know, traveling to Dallas, getting ready for that may as well start practicing here and you know it'll that's one thing that we haven't really talked about it's interesting you know Mar- mario Cristobal really does a lot of different thing, things differently just the way they practice the way they break it up the days mm-hmm. they take off just you know just so many different things and you kind of wonder if there might be some differences with how they prep for a a travel week versus what they did last year i don't i don't know i don't yeah i don't have any inside scoop there it just Seems a little early for them to start prepping for Auburn, but you kind of wonder if that's what's coming ahead. Well, I, I think UT is a point that it it might really please a lot of fans if we hear that the Ducks are trying something different on the road because yeah. they think they need to. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I mean, I don't know. Maybe you, you talked to a, a sports psychologist. Maybe he said, hey, maybe if you get down there a couple of days earlier, maybe that helps kind of get some of the you – know, I don't know. I'm just – I'm really – we're just literally guessing here at some of the things they could be doing. Somebody told them to let the brisket settle for a couple days before yeah. they get to kick off. Yeah, get down there, maybe practice down there a couple times and get used to the time zone, get used to the, the, the weather. You know, I don't know. I mean, just I guess in when football is as competitive as it is at this level, every little thing matters. You know, every little, you know, the way you train, the way you eat, every every, you know, the way you travel, all those things matter. So you just kind of wonder if there's any tweaks in store for how they prepare for, because obviously this is a road game. It's a road game for Auburn too, but not quite as much. Uh, two quick questions, then we'll get to Dave Bartu. Ducks with a couple injuries right now. Yeah. Micah Pittman went down, and Jawan Johnson went down today uh, as of recording on Wednesday. Are you concerned about that? Oh, you have to be. I mean, considering the fact that Brendan Schooler's already out, and you know that for, let's just say, the month of September – to be conservative. Uh, Micah Pittman, same thing, going to be out for the month of September. So you, uh, that becomes really difficult because you went from a, a position group you were not very strong with 
to begin with. Thought you had done better by adding the transfer in Jawan Johnson and then obviously recruiting incredibly well. Well, what looks to be the best recruit that you signed out of that group in Micah Pittman goes down. Mm-hmm. Your One of your returning starters and, and veterans, Brendan Schooler, goes down. And now there are question marks about Jawan Johnson and, and the severity of his injury. Uh, so there you go. I mean, your top uh, – essentially, I don't want to say this and, and be inconsiderate of – you know, uh, Jalon Red and, and uh, Johnny Johnson and those guys, but essentially your top three guys right now that we're hearing about are gone. Uh, you know, J.R. Waters, Jerron Waters, another incoming freshman, definitely won't play in the month of September at least. So I I don't know. I, I did, uh, did Coach Bo, like, put a curse on this group or something <laughs> coming in? I don't, I, I don't know. It's really – I mean, injuries are a part of, of college football, and uh, – you know, Auburn's got some injuries of its own. You know, uh, we just saw that Washington lost a couple of players last week on, on the defensive side of the ball for some period of time. Injuries happen right. at this point. And I, I know, and I'm not picking, there was a post on Scoop Duck about, you know, is Oregon practicing too hard? Is that why there's injuries? You have to. I mean. It's football. Yeah. you ha- If you, here's my thought on that, and and I'll I'll go back to it. I felt that in years past, USC didn't practice hard enough. They didn't do tackling in practice. They got hurt a ton in football games. You right. go to the actual games, if right. your body's not conditioned and ready for that, you're going to get seriously hurt, mm-hmm. uh, you know, versus maybe a thud practice or, or, a, or a live tackle practice, whatever the case might be at Oregon. Yeah, the coaches are definitely pushing these guys. I think more than that, these guys are pushing each other. I think Micah Pittman's a guy that goes out there and has only one gear. I had something, another question for you, but I'm going to save it because oh. I think that brings up a good point. This is football. Yeah. This is not – I'm never going to criticize Mario Cristobal or, or any coach. It could be anybody in the Pac-12. Jonathan Smith at OSU. could be Herm Edwards. could be Chris Peterson. I can't criticize them if they're tough in practice. Yeah. It's a tough game. Right. Where you hit people. And – and so, yeah, are, are the Ducks getting injured in practice? Yes. Like you said, is this unique to the Ducks? No, no. Not even close. Right. It's football. Right. We're all paying attention to it because we pay attention to the Ducks more than anything. But yes. if you go look at any other team, they have injuries of their own. Just because you haven't read about Utah's injuries doesn't mean they don't exist. They've probably got a few, at least. If you mm-hmm. go digging, you can probably find them. But since it's Oregon and you pay attention, it's obviously – you know, emphasize, oh man, you know, four or five injuries. Well, yeah, but everybody's got four or five injuries. That's the reality of this. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think maybe this is just my perspective of, of being the local guy covering high school. And then every now and then I get a college game to go cover. Um, I'm always floored by the roster sizes in college football. Yeah. In the NFL, you got 50 guys. In high school football, you got 40 or 50 guys. In college, you got 80 to 100 guys on that roster. Right. So theoretically, you don't want Micah Pittman to go down. You don't want Jawan Johnson to go down. You don't want Brendan Schooler to go down. You got some holes in the receiving core. Theoretically, you should have enough bodies to fill that in. Yeah, you you really should. And uh, Oregon kind of doesn't, I guess. They, 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 they're a little better off than they were. But still, that those holes remain from the – from the years preceding that, you know, obviously Mario Cristobal came in and realized, hey, we need help at receiver, went out and signed a bunch of really good wide receivers in the 2019 class, and then got a graduate transfer, the best one available at receiver in Jawan Johnson. 
you've done everything you can to fix those holes in one year, but one, you know, one year doesn't build the depth. So, you know, the injuries this year definitely become paramount at that position group because it hasn't fully developed yet in two or three years when those guys are, you know, sophomores, juniors, seniors, the, the ones that, you know, the Micah Pittmans and the J.R. Waters and the Lance Wilhoits, um, you know, when those guys are, you know, juniors, seniors, and then you've signed a really good 2020 class behind it, Chris Hudson, Johnny Wilson, those guys have come in and played a year or two. You've established depth at that point, but it takes time. And Oregon definitely hasn't had the time to, to build that depth yet. I think they did a terrific job doing a pat. They did a Dana Altman job is what they did at receiver. They did an ultimate patch job trying to piece together, uh, you know, a roster group for that. And uh, at least at that position group, which Dana Altman's done for Oregon basketball this season, um, very just incredible what he's done there. Absolutely incredible. Yeah. But, uh, you know, again, just haven't had the years to, to establish and build that depth. And uh, these injuries hurt. There's no doubt. They, you know, even if Jawan Johnson comes back and plays for Auburn, which is what I believe will happen, you still lost Brendan Schooler and Micah Pittman. And whether you're a Schooler fan or not, that experience hurts. And whether Pittman started or not, that playmaking ability hurts because he was definitely going to be seeing snaps whether he started or not. So mm-hmm. it, it hurts. Hopefully uh, the good news is, though, if you can get past Auburn, which is a big job, but the good news is if you can get past Auburn, you know, your next couple games in, in uh, at least at home in September aren't too bad. You can navigate Montana and Nevada fairly easily. I was just going to say. I would assume. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the world beaters, yeah. Montana Grizz. Right. So if you can get those guys back right in the meat of your schedule, uh, you know, all is not lost. But, uh, but again, they definitely do hurt. I can't wait for that Montana game. But uh, that's a subject for another day. Sure. Um, Dave Bartu and Jacob Archer, one yeah. of your guys, scoopduck.com. Yep. We're going to speak with both of them today. Um, it's probably a good time to get Dave on the line, right? Yeah, let's get Dave on. If you guys don't know Dave and haven't seen his work just yet, you know, he does CFBmatrix.com, collegefootballmatrix.com. Um, you know, all his stuff is analytics driven. So he takes the emotion out of it. And, you know, whether. You know, some people say, oh, well, your, your, your algorithm's wrong or whatever the case might be. He's merely trying to present the most rational argument for which teams, you know, are better than others. You know, metrics using coaching ability, who's a better coach. He's really trying to, you know, eliminate uh, the emotional part of things when he presents his information. So, you know, I have a lot of respect for his work, whether you love it or hate it. I think it has a place in college football. I love reading it. Right. And, uh, you know, I've known Dave. Dave's been a part of, of, of Oregon sites with me since I got started. So, you know, Dave and I have a, a real long standing relationship. So uh, excited to bring him on and see. I, I just want to see what he thinks about the Pac-12. Not it doesn't have to be Oregon centric. I want to hear what he has to say about Oregon, but I want to hear what he has to say about Utah, what he thinks about Washington. I want to hear what he thinks about the Pac-12 from an analytics standpoint. I think that's really neat because you've got the old school guys that they either are given Pete the benefit of a doubt up in Seattle sure. or they are looking at all those big bodies that Utah signed and, and they're thinking about how great Utah might be in the trenches. I wonder, you crunch the numbers a little bit, get the analytics perspective, maybe they see eye to eye, maybe they see differently. My biggest fear, my big, and we're going to get Dave on next. My biggest fear right now, as we go into this, is that the Pac-12 will ultimately, once again, end up beating up on each other. Right. And then everybody's going to say the Pac-12 sucks. Which I get part of that, but on the same hand, 
you know, when the SEC beats up on each other, oh, the SEC is really good. You, you know, that's, they're just really good. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, they're really good at the top, you know, just like the Pac-12. I think Washington's a good team. Oregon's a good team. Utah's a good team. There's some Stanford. There's some good teams at the top. Yes, there are some teams at the bottom that are not so good. Same can be said for the SEC. And if you go and try and convince me that the ACC is good, they're not just hop heavy. They're one heavy. You've got Clemson <laughs> and you like, you know, tell me another team that's worth talking about right in the ACC right there really isn't I I can think about a car salesman down in Tallahassee who might have a thing to say about that right right he's got a lot to prove he's got he's got a lot to prove yeah he's got a lot to prove down there in my mind if you're going to argue that the ACC is a good conference then you know by by every account you've got to tell me that the right now I, I would have to say that the Big Ten might be the best conference in football this year just from what we see top to bottom yeah from top to bottom i mean but you know you i, I always think I, I know that your dad will be upset i always think <laughs> michigan gets overrated by default yes said the harbaugh effect yes um penn state you never know with penn state sometimes they show flashes of brilliance and then they have lapses you know michigan state can they figure it out offensively uh, so i think there's a lot of highly ranked big 10 teams and probably deserve to be in the conversation but again pac-12 does too What's going to happen is those conferences are going to eat each other up and the Pac-12 is going to get dinged for it and say, well, nobody's good in that conference. Well, okay, maybe not. but Let's hope not. Yeah, let's hope not. Man, I'm excited for college football. Yeah. Uh, Dave Bartu, College Football Matrix. It looks like Dave's a little busy, which is fine because he says on Twitter he's everybody's favorite radio guest. Right. He's a guy that has already done a couple hits across the country today and and gearing up for other things, busy dudes. So we're going to hit up with Dave a little bit later. And Jacob Archer. Now, I mentioned right off the top, I had him on my local show last week. And I I like when I get the college kids from Scoop Duck on my show because – you give these guys a really neat um, sort of two-way experience, right? Of you get the writer right on the scenes, yeah, and they get that sense of a community. And and what just caught my eye from Jacob was this is a kid that every day when he wants to have a little fun, when he wants to kill some time, instead of sitting in his dorm room, spinning in a chair, or or trying and failing to impress girls. Or playing Fortnite. Right, playing Fortnite, all the stupid things that I would have done when I was in college. He's out there watching practice. Yeah, and he loves it. That's he so fun. It. Yeah, I That's mean, so cool. you know, I know that we both had experience with Alan Johnstone last couple of years who, who worked for me yeah. and graduated school, uh, you know, here in, in April, May. Actually, uh, and uh, Alan was the same way. Alan, you know, always hit me up. Hey, you want me to go to the basketball game? You want me to go to the women's basketball game? You know, just very eager to go to any event, get that experience, enjoy it, embrace it. Jacob's very much the same way. He's, you know, I've told him you don't have to go to every practice. You know, if you want to go to one, two a week, it's cool. Right. You know, nope. I mean, he's going to all of them. He's, you know, asking me, you know, what's next? Do you need me to write something else? I mean, just absolute gung-ho about uh, you know this experience to, to me it's an experience these these uh these young men are able to and it, it doesn't have so much to do with me they're able to experience covering a football team covering a basketball team live and up front you know for a lot of them it's really cool to walk down there and you're able to you know maybe you're not having a one-on-one conversation with justin herbert but you're right in front of him 
listening to what he has to say. You can ask him a question if you want to. Right there in the, the scrum, right that there. they call it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You've got all those reporters, and everybody gets a question or two, and that's an awesome experience. Yeah, it's just it's an experience. And for a lot of them, they're doing it because it's something they think they might want to do as they get older. And, I mean, there's no better experience than to go and do it, you know. Yeah. So uh, I'm really happy to have guys like Jacob and Alan – uh, you know, and Chris that's joined us as well. All these guys, you know, I'm very fortunate to have a really good group of guys working with us now. But, um, you know, Jacob has, I think he's been to every practice except for like the first week. Mm-hmm. I think he missed the first week only, but he's been to pr- every practice since. Yeah. So he's got a really good feel, you know, for the changes that have happened through the last couple of weeks and, you know, how thing, how they're dealing with injuries. And, and uh, you know, so it'd be fun to pick his brain for 10, 15 minutes, kind of get a sense of what he's seeing. Um, which doesn't always come out in what he writes. I know he writes a practice report every time, but you you and I both know that what's you know what's written is completely different than you know verbal. No doubt. Yeah. So no doubt. Um, well, let's bring Jacob on, and uh, I'm excited for him this season. He's he's doing some tremendous work. So as we teased, Jacob Archer writes here at Scoop Duck, and he's with us on the phone line right now. Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi, Jacob. You've been to almost every practice. I think Justin said every practice except for just a couple things during the first week. What's the the biggest thing that has stood out to you watching this Ducks team? Yeah, uh, the intensity. I think of practice. Uh, the last couple the last couple weeks have really started to kind of ramp up as we're getting closer to uh, finally opening the season against Auburn. Um, you know, the first couple of weeks, I was able to see a little bit more. You know, we were in there for about 25 minutes. The media is allowed into practice. Um, and it's warm-ups and then usually like a tackling circuit. And then they break off into unit drills. Uh, but going into this week, as they're getting closer to, to prep for Auburn, um, they've cut our time down. So we're only in there for about 12 minutes now this week. So we're seeing them go through warm-ups, stuff like that, the stretching, all that. And then usually just the tackling circuit, and then we're done. So... Um, you know, it's a little bit less this week um, than, than, than weeks past, to say. Um, but just the overall intensity, um, you know, Feld, Coach Feld, was, he had a really good little speech today. I thought, you know, when they're done with warm-ups, they usually run to the 50 um, and kind of get together as a team, do a chant, and then break off. And, you know, he said, you determine how practice goes, essentially. You know, if you give 100% now, even just running to the O, you're setting the tone for practice. So they're really just trying to trying to set the tone early at practice. You know, get everyone excited, have everyone playing hard, which which has been really great to see. And you know, just a little thing that stood out to me: every time they break off to the fifty, Herbert is the first guy. You know, Justin's the first guy in there. He is head down, sprinting. Um, so it's really great to see that. I, you know, just see him kind of with his leadership and stuff, and. Uh, kind of setting the tone for other players because obviously they're looking up to him, you know, senior quarterback and stuff, some of these, some of these freshmen or even, you know, some of the backup quarterbacks are saying, Hey, you know, this is, this is what it means to be a duck. We're going to, we're going to practice hard every single second. Uh, Jacob, uh, you know, obviously as we're recording this now, we haven't published your uh, practice report from today, but you were there Mm -hmm. uh, for all Mm -hmm. uh, 12 minutes of glory. (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) What uh, what were a few of, of your takeaways from today? I know there was a little bit, uh, you know, a few injury notes. Looked like a couple of tight ends were working their way back. What were some of your main points that you were able to see in that window today? 
Yeah, so McCormick and Breland are both still limited. Um, last week, Breland wasn't even in pads, so it was good to see him back in pads this week. Um, and they're they're getting better. You know, they're they're progressively they look better, um, they look quicker, stuff like that. You know, just going through warmups where a couple weeks ago maybe they look kind of stiff and almost looked like they were going at half speed almost. They're definitely you know during the warmups now. You know, they're running. They're they're looking good. It looks to me like they should be back. Hopefully, any you know, really, really soon, whether it's this week or next week, um, you know, now that we're only ten days away, you know, if we can get a full week of practice with them, then I think it would be really good for them um, and for the team. And the other thing that that stood out to me today that I thought was of the biggest note was uh, Spencer Webb. Uh, he was he was warming up with the receivers today. Um, I know there was a rumor going around that he was going to switch over to receiver and and for the season, you know, just with the injuries to the receiving core. Um, and then during during unit the the tackling circuit drills, he he broke off to the with the receivers. Um, you know, not able to see a lot during them. They're not really doing any you know heavy contact drills or anything like that. But I thought that was kind of my biggest takeaway from today was was seeing him actually going going at it with the receivers. Jacob, you mentioned that you've you've been impressed by Aaron Feld, Ducks strength coach, the the crazy guy with the mustache. What I always say about <laughs> him, uh, is, what's he like in person? Is he like what we all think he's like? Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, you see, you know, the the fill the sleeves and the Flex Friday videos, and people always say, "Oh, I've never seen him not yelling," and. I've never seen him not just yelling. <laughs> it's awesome, though. Um, it's definitely really good for practice, you know, because it's, it's early during warm-ups. Some guys are kind of just, you know, trying to jog, kind of go through things, and, and he's yelling and getting guys pumped up. And when I say yelling and stuff, it's not, not in a negative way at all. Um, you know, a lot of the guys, they love him, and you can just see that. You know, guys are, guys are dapping him up. He's laughing with guys, you know, talking to players and stuff, and, and he's a lot of guys you can tell are really starting to buy into that and stuff. So he is a hundred percent just like the way you, you know, on his videos on Twitter and stuff and like that. He, he is like that all the time. I don't, I don't know how he does it. Uh, Jacob, I th- one of my questions here is, uh, you know, I know that it's a very limited window you're able to see, so it's, it's hard to get too good of a feel, but over, uh, almost really just disregarding the Juwan Johnson injury, which is obviously in effect. Besides that, uh, you know, with Micah Pittman down, Brenda Schooler down uh, for an extended time, have you gotten a real sense for anyone who might be kind of stepping up a little bit into that role? I know Johnny Johnson's been out there with the, with the ones a lot. You know, what have you kind of seen from that group with some of these injuries coming into play? Yeah, I think there's there's two guys that, that really come to mind when thinking about this unit. Um, one of the guys you just mentioned, mentioned Johnny Johnson, uh, you know, a guy who's now going into his third year at Oregon, had a really good freshman season, and, you know, he had some issues last season with the drops and stuff like that. And I think a lot of fans were, you know, maybe hoping to see someone, one of these freshmen, maybe, you know, jump over him or get more snaps than him. But, man, he, he looks the part this year. Um, every practice, I haven't, I really don't, can't even recall a time I've seen him drop a pass. Um, he's looked really good running with the ones this year. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty, I'm really, really excited to watch him this year. I think, I think he could end up being one of the, the better receivers on this team. It's just kind of, you know, a go-to target for, for Herbert that, you know, he always knows he can throw to kind of, kind of like Dylan Mitchell last year. Maybe not obviously that kind of numbers, but just, 
just a really safe kind of go-to target that, you know, he knows he can rely on. You know, now it's his third year working with Herber, so I'm sure they know each other really well, and, you know, they know each other's tendencies and stuff like that. And, you know, I, I'm really expecting a, a, a big season from, from Johnny. And then the other guy who stood out to me um, so far on campus is Brian Addison. You know, another guy, he looks totally looks the part, you know. He's tall and, and he's long and has these long strides and is really quick and, 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 you know, can get his routes going really, really fast. Um, I think for him, it's just more so going to be a question if he can kind of put it all together this year. Um, the talent, the talent's all there. Uh, but, you know, he's really going to have to work hard with a lot of the little things and, you know, hope he's watching a lot of film, doing stuff like that and just, just getting ready to go into the season because, you know, he might, he might not be out there to open the season on the receiving core, but he's going to be a guy that is going to get called upon, you know, whether it's a few snaps at the start of the year or if he, you know, ends up sliding into a starting position by, by the end of the year. Um, you know, his number is going to be called. It's going to be called early and it'll be called often. So I'm really, really excited to see him and just kind of how he's progressed so far going through fall camp. I know that uh, obviously this is uh, – I want to phrase this right. This is, you know, your first time maybe being a little bit more intimate with the team, you know, going to practice mm-hmm. on a daily. But I know you've been involved and been around the team in years past. And just mm-hmm. just your takeaway from, from there to now, when you walk up and see these guys, you know, to you, I know we hear it, but, I mean, is this team noticeably different? And by that, I mean they're longer at, you know – most of the position groups and these guys are bigger and, and, and better cut and more defined, you know, is that something that you've really noticed maybe from, you know, maybe last year to this year, almost just kind of being a little bit more intimate with this team that they are in fact a bigger, longer version of Oregon football. Yeah, I think, I think they totally are. Um, even a day of practice, uh, just kind of looking around at, at some of the guys on the D line and just how, just how well well built and you know put together they look. Like Bryson Young, for example, you know he's been a guy that's been around in the program. He looks noticeably, you know, bigger and stronger, and even a little bit quicker out there during practice. And like you were saying, this is my first year kind of being able to go behind the scenes a little bit more um, with Oregon. But you know, I had gone to open practices in years past and open scrimmages and stuff, and and. Like you were saying, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, they're noticeably, you know, stronger and stuff with, with Feld in the fourth quarter program. And, and I think it's totally true. Um, with guys, even like Troy Dye this year, you know, he looks like he, he's a little bit, you know, better put together, even just from last year alone, um, while still kind of regaining that quickness. Because, you know, the thing is, it's not that every guy needs to get bigger. You know, some guys are, are cutting weight and slimming down or, you know, bulking up a little bit, getting stronger, but just, you know, a lot of guys are, are noticeably better cut um, from even just last year to this year. Jacob, the uh, the fun topic on Scoop Duck last two weeks, at least for me, has been reading what Duck fans predict and what Duck fans expect <laughs> about the team this season. Uh, we want to wrap up on that note. From what you've seen, what do you expect of this team this season? I expect them to compete. Um, do I think a, a college football, you know, making the playoffs, is it out of the picture? I don't think it's out of the picture. Um, I, I'm not going to go ahead and say they, they will make it this year. I still think, you know, they're a year or two off with, with Coach Cristobal from, from really getting to that point. Um, but I think they're, they're right in the mix and either, 
you know, should be the favorite or maybe in that group of favorites alongside, you know, like a Washington or a Utah to, to, to win the conference. Um, you know, I think, I think if they just put it together this year, you know, go 10-2 and two in the regular season, that would be a great success for Coach Cristobal. Um, you know, it's hard. It's hard in football to really turn around a program really fast. If we, you know, we've seen that with other schools and stuff. And, you know, even a school like, like Clemson, for example, who, you know, had some kind of rough years and, you know, the mid-thousands and stuff, it, it took them even five or six years to really kind of build back up to where they were, you know, consistently now winning the conference and making the playoffs. Um, so I think, you know, I think the fans that are thinking, you know, we're going to run the table and go 12-0 and and we're going to blow out Washington and Auburn, you know, I think we need to, to, to lower our expectations a little bit. I think this is going to be a really, really good football team. Uh, I don't know if they're quite on that, that great level yet, um, but I think, I think a 10-2 and two season is, you know, it's a realistic expectation for this team. And, you know, I'm sure the coaching staff feels, feels the same way. You know, a ten and two season would would do great things for you know for for Coach Cristobal and you know the recruiting efforts continuing to build on last year's all time class with the current class shaping up to be really really strong and then even looking forward you know they're in it for a lot of guys for the following year you know in twenty twenty one a lot of high end guys um, so I think it's just really important that they they go out there and they just compete every single game and you know there's they're going to lose a game or two here and there and you know there might be a surprise game but. But just to, to be in it every game and to, to look like a better football team, even relative to last year with some of the some of the kind of the rough games like the Arizona and even you know the Stanford game was kind of just falling apart late in the game. Um, I think if you don't see things like that, that would be a huge kind of step forward for this team. So, you know, I think I think ten and two with potentially making the the, the conference game and a shot at the Rose Bowl, kind of kind of where I'm at right now. I, I like what you're saying there, Jacob. Um, I think overall you're, you're really the, the key, the underlying tone that you're trying to make there is, is consistency. And I think that's, you know, what this team needs, you know, play consistently all year, be competitive. Uh, you know, like you said, they can lose some games, but, you know, it's going to be how you lose those games that it, that's really going to matter. And with that, I'm going to send you off with this final question, and, and you can keep it quick if you want. But uh, Auburn prediction, okay, that game's next week. Uh, <laughs> what do you got? Yeah, um, I'm actually going to that game, so I'm 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 really excited to be there. Um, prediction, the prediction's hard. I'm not usually a huge prediction guy, just because you know it's it's so tricky, and rarely are you right, and usually you're wrong. But I think it's going to be pretty low scoring. I think you know with our offense now, and you know losing Pittman and having a lot of young guys at receiver, um, I think we're really just going to try to run the ball a lot and and, and keep you know just try to establish our offense and, and, you know, same as Auburn with their, their true freshman quarterback now being announced the starter, Bo Nix. I don't think they're going to try to do a lot of crazy stuff with him. He has a lot of talent, but you know, he's still only probably 18 or 19 years old. Um, so I think it's going to end up kind of being a, a little bit more of a conservative game, you know, a, a, a big turnover, a key turnover might, might make the difference. Um, and, and I'm going to end up saying it, it's 24, 17 Oregon. Oh wow! Little little low scoring affair. I'm I, I'm 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 a, I'm a little surprised to hear that, but it also makes sense. You know, like you said, a lot. I think both these teams are going to look to run the ball and, and play some you know play some control on that front. But uh, you know, I, I like the prediction there. And uh, you know, again, folks, you know, Jacob's been doing a terrific job going to practice. He'll be at games. He'll be helping us this season. I know uh, basketball is another passion of yours. 
uh, you know, so we'll be mm-hmm. uh, following your work through basketball. So really appreciate everything you've done so far, Jacob, and we're going to get you on here again in, uh, in the next few weeks. Yeah, thank you for letting me on. That was great. Thank you. Awesome. Getting to meet that kid last week was, was great. And getting a chance to have him on there, even better. Jacob Archer, ScoopDuck.com. Really excited to see what he does for you this year. And I'm with you. It was kind of eye-popping to hear 24-17. Yep. But I'll spin it this way. It's week one. Right. You're not going to be perfect week one. No. There's going to be some penalties. There might be some turnovers. Right. You're going to leave some points on the board. I think week one, 24-17, Mario's going to be really mad in the post-game presser. And then he's going to get to work. Yeah, I'm. I, I uh, yeah, the, I think the score's slightly low, only from the regard that, like you said, it's going to be a little bit sloppy on both ends. There might be, you know, a pick six or a fumble return. So I think there'll be some points that way for each team potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some mistakes in the red zone or something that to that effect that's costly. But twenty four seventeen is not a bad prediction. I think both these teams are going to try and run the ball. Um, you know, I I don't think that Auburn will be super explosive offensively i think they can be good i think they might dink and dunk their way down the field a little bit um from true freshman quarterback yeah you, you don't take any chances with the true no freshman control the game yeah control the game make it uh, you know keep it simple stupid you hear that all the time that's what i would do if i was malzon you know i'd keep it simple stupid put him in uh makeable situations put him in winnable situations build his confidence up you know that'll be key early on uh, you know, establishing the run will be key for them, you know, making it easier, making it, you know, second and six or, or, or third and four or five or something, you know, manageable game situations for them. Conversely, I think Oregon's going to have to do a little bit of that themselves, not because of the quarterback, just because of how they've played on the road. You know, I think they really need to build some confidence early. The way you do that is run the ball successfully, put Herbert, get his nerves, calm down, keep Herbert in once again, you know, winnable game management situations. Uh, you know, he'd much rather face third and four than third and 13 right um you know so i think there'll be a little bit of that from both sides in the beginning which could slow down the the pace of the game slow down the score of the game so 24 17 doesn't sound all that stupid when we talk it out it's not stupid it doesn't sound all that bad when we talk it out it seems sensible it just it takes some talking to get there right because we're used to oregon scoring 45 60 <laughs> 70 points in their openers and i just you know that's probably not going to happen this week this year right Right. So, uh, and, and, and that's a subject I might, I got to write this down in my notes, save it for later of just the chip Kelly generation and that experience yes. and the influence it's had on Oregon fandom. Like I see this with the uniforms of everyone's all bummed, just depressed because the ducks uniforms are okay. Moderately different. Not yeah. a lot of change. Yeah. yeah. They're not, it's not like, whoa, look at these Oregon uniforms. It's right. just like, oh, hey, Oregon uniforms came out. Yeah. And everyone's all bummed about that because it's not the Chip Kelly era. Um, it just puts in perspective how crazy all that was. Yeah. You, you, you know, we've talked about this before. You can, you can, I mean, you can, you can measure any offense you want at Oregon compared to Chip Kelly. And it's always going to fall short. Yeah. There's absolutely no way that any offense is going to live up to that lightning in a bottle that, that, that we got to see firsthand. Right. It was magical, but that was, that's, that's, that's a generational type of a thing. You know, we won't see that again. It may not ever happen again at Oregon. It might happen somewhere else in 30 years. Who knows? But you know, right now to just sit here and think, okay, Marcus Arroyo, his offense is, isn't as good as Chip Kelly's. Well, no shit. I mean, come on, seriously, (laughs) you know, like, and that's not a knock on Marcus Arroyo. 
I mean, Chip Kelly was the master at that. Mm-hmm. And secondly, to your point about uniforms, I get the sense that Oregon will always continue to tweak their uniforms, but I think under Mario Cristobal's watch, they're going to be relatively traditional at heart. So I think that's something you know that Alabama embraces. We're not changing our uniforms. We're not changing the colors. Oh yeah, yeah we're, we, it, it's like in the NFL, classic teams don't change their colors. Yeah, and and Alabama considers itself the classic team in college football. Sure, and they should, and they absolutely should. And I think as much as as, as Oregon's been innovative, innovative with Nike and their uniforms, I think there will continue to be tweaks. But ultimately, you know, they will eighty percent resemble you know, a more traditional Oregon uniform for what you will. So, you know, I'm not saying there won't be one-offs or Jordans or whatnot, but I think under Mario Cristobal, it will be less about, Hey, let's add, you know, wings to this or, you know, uh, diamond plating on the shoulders. I mean, that kind of stuff. I, I just don't think will happen very often under Cristobal's watch. No Lewis and Clark unis. Yeah, no, no, you, yeah, yeah. Don't even get me started on those. Yeah. Yeah. The Cal uniforms. Yeah. Well, that's the other one. I was good. Yeah. I was like, which joke should I make? Right. It's either the Lewis and Clark uh, silver surfer right. uniform or it's the, uh, the Cal bear right. Oregon flag. Uh, the, yeah. Either way. Yeah. Total mess. Yeah. Total mess. But, uh, anyways, uh, uh, our, our, our second guest, uh, is available. We, we did a shuffle and, and so it made it work for everybody. It works fine for us. We're going to have both guests on. Either way, so yeah. which one was first or which one was second didn't matter to us. Uh, so Bartu is ready, and we'll bring him on, and we'll talk a little bit about Oregon, and we'll talk, uh, you know, about the Pac-12 overall and what he sees and what he likes. Dave Bartu at CFB Matrix on Twitter. You know him best for the man behind College Football Matrix. Great site covering college football from a completely different angle. Justin laid the case for this earlier. Dave is a number cruncher, and he's going to attack this in a way that I think Duck fans will really appreciate. Dave, let's start with Oregon. What do the numbers tell you about the Ducks this year? I can tell you right now, dude, they are not going to appreciate this. <laughs> uh, but, you know, you're, you're right. I mean, I tell stories with numbers. Uh, and as a Duck alum, um, I, do, I do love talking about Oregon. And, in, you know, something, uh, there might be a little bit of a bias against them because I don't want anybody ever thinking that, you know, hey, I'm being a Duck homer. Uh, and I don't think I've ever been accused of that. But you look at Oregon, uh, and just like any other team, you know, there, there's three things that I always look in college football that have the biggest impact. Talent, coaching, and schedule. Okay? Uh, last year, Oregon had their, their easiest schedule they've had this century. It was a gift. Um, and they went 8-4. and four. So, you know, part of me says, okay, you know, you look at the numbers, they, they strongly, significantly underperformed what was given to them last year, and now they kind of have a reverse scenario. You know, those, those good home games, Washington, uh, you know, is now, are now on the road. So the, the schedule this year, I think, is, is much more difficult, even though the expectations are up. And I think a lot of it, and correct me if I'm wrong, a lot of it is being driven um, by the increase in recruiting, Herbert coming back, you know, a lot of factors that make people feel really good about everything. That's interesting. So, that, yeah. inter- that, no, that's interesting that... <laughs> I'm with you, you know, on the schedule thing. You guys can edit all this, right? No, oh yeah, no. But I'm with you. If you look at the schedule last year to this year, it's 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 an absolute stark contrast. And for a team that struggles on the road, as Oregon has, I mean, it, it definitely raises a lot of red flags. At least in my eyes, I imagine that's what you're seeing as well. 
Yeah, you know, we, 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 we're seeing improved recruiting, right? I mean, we had, we had a great class and arguably the best class that they've had. On paper, um, I would just simply say that was the best class they've ever had, uh, and we'll call ever this century. You know, because that's really when modern recruiting and the ranking started was uh, 1999-2000. So, you know, this is their best class, but one class obviously does not make a, a four-year composite or a four-year profile uh, of, a, of a program. Uh, but certainly with, with Oregon going forward, there's a lot of excitement there. But realistically, that, that parts of that class will make an impact, but probably not most of it. So... When I'm looking at Oregon, I, I look at the schedule. Then we start looking at the coaching side of it, too. Okay, um, You brought in a new defensive coordinator. Now, as a Duck fan, the most exciting thing that happened this offseason was bringing in that defensive coordinator. Our report, because on the back side, this is, this is kind of like the public side of what I do. On the private side, we do consulting for coaches, athletic directors on scheduling, on recruiting analytics, all sorts of things. Hiring and firing coordinators is also one of them. And number three on our list in terms of good fit for the offense that Mario wants to run was the coordinator they pulled from Boise. So that one really excited me. This guy is top 20%, uh, at least for his career so far, top 20% of all defensive coordinators in all of college football. So to me, that was the single biggest upgrade. And I was also really happy they didn't go next man up. I don't know about you, but as a Duck fan, like, that gets a little tiring. Next man up. Oh, next man, next man. How are we doing next man up every single time and being successful with it? Mm-hmm. I think with Oregon and top programs like Oregon, you got to go out and just find the best available. And I think they really did a good job in doing that, probably a great job in doing that. So I'm excited to see what the defense is going to do. But on the flip side, on the coordinator side, uh, Arroyo came in uh, to Oregon. He was given the the play-calling reins, um, and when he was given those reins, uh, he was bottom 20 percentile. One of the worst offensive coordinators in college football. His career was bad. Uh, And you look at Oregon's scoring efficiency, even though they've had Herbert, and a mature, bigger, stronger, probably faster Herbert, their scoring efficiency has dropped for two straight years. It's trending down. It's going the wrong way. And I don't know if you guys have talked about this, but going into the season, what are you more confident about, your offensive coordinator or your defensive coordinator? And it's kind of a rhetorical question because this is the fourth year of the offense. If you're not saying offense unanimously, something's wrong. That's a red flag, yeah. Right? I mean, if you can't say, oh, dude, our offense is going to crush it this year. Year four, well, you know, this is, this is everybody by year four should be just turning on all cylinders. And if you can't look at this Doug squad and go, unanimously, our offense should be crushing the efficiency versus the defense, the defense is the biggest question mark, then you have a coaching problem at the offensive side. Period. You know, agree, disagree, but that, that's kind of the way I see that. So, from a talent standpoint right now, Oregon is sitting, um, you know, something, this is, this is the best place that they've been talent-wise uh, in the last four years. So you have, you have an increasing arc right now, second-best recruiter in the Pac-12, uh, which hasn't happened for five years. So the, the talent's going in the right direction. You know, you go back to some of the, the better years. Uh, they peaked 2013 at number 13 in the country. So I think after the 2016 class comes off, you bring in the new crop of recruits. I think you're going to see Oregon's talent continue to go up. I think the wild card in this whole thing, short-term, long-term, 
is going to be the offensive coordinator. I think that's the key to all of this. Can he figure it out? And if he can, cool. I mean, like, really cool. Because I think the defensive coordinator is going to be good. If he can't figure it out, at what point does Mario have to pull the trigger? He's going to have to do something. And I think based on the history of Arroyo, I think for Oregon to step forward where Duck fans want to go back to, I think he's going to have to be replaced. And, uh, you know, Dave, I, I I genuinely say that I think you definitely represent a, a faction of Duck fans or, or you know, that, that do wonder about the offensive coordinator. So I, I do want to ask you this question, and, and I want to remind the listeners that, you know, Maybe when it comes to Oregon, you have a tiny, tiny bit of passion involved, but all of your work is is analytics-driven. It's numbers-driven. You're not just getting on here and saying, I hated that play call. You're looking at the numbers and saying, hey, these charts are trending down. This is not a good thing. With that in mind, is there a a, a number or, or something that gives you at least some margin of optimism that this offense can trend back up is there an analytic is there a number is there something that suggests this can turn around this year well sure because you look three years ago at the end of the 2000 would that be the 2016 season um when herbert was playing i think oregon was 11th in offensive scoring efficiency in the country um two years ago they were top 25. So it's not like they haven't been there. Uh, it's just that it was trending the wrong way. Now, that doesn't mean it can't turn it around. And like I said, I, and, you know, I'm not saying Arroyo needs to be replaced. I'm just simply saying that as if these trends continue, there's going to have to be a change. But can it turn? Absolutely. You know, so you go from top 15 to top 25. Last year, their offensive scoring efficiency was 35th in the country. Okay, that's the worst number since Mike Bellotti, pre-Mike Bellotti, pre-Chip Kelly. I mean, it's the worst number they've had, even when they were, what was it, 4-8 and eight under Helfrich? Right. They were still top 25 in total scoring efficiency. The offense has never dipped down this far. So can they get back? Absolutely they can. They've, they've done it. They did it in, in 2017. They did it in 2016. They did it the decade before that. So it's there. You have, and by what I've been able to read, arguably the best offensive line in college football? Let me ask you this on the heels of that. And you may not know the answer. I don't know. but Or, or you might. Uh, I know your numbers guy. But by comparison, because th- here's what I'm going to say. We know that Mario Cristobal seems to want to emphasize an offense similar to what Alabama has done in the past, which is run mm-hmm. the ball. You know, So my question to you is, if if that's sort of not the benchmark but the, the the comparison, where has Alabama been in scoring efficiency? Is that a, a team that's trended up or stayed in top ten? Or you might not know the answer. I'm just I'm just sitting oh, I here. Know the, <laughs> Alabama last year was second in total team scoring efficiency last year. Wow. Their defense was fourth. Clemson was number one in defensive scoring efficiency. Offense was third. See, when you when when I do the scoring efficiency numbers, mm-hmm. it has nothing to do with yards. It has nothing to do with total points. Okay, because it's not a yards board. It doesn't matter if you put 700 yards a game up there. Right. It doesn't matter if you put 45 points a game up there or 25. You know, if you're a Duck fan, would you rather win 28 to three or 45-42? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, no context you know? is everything. So it's the, the the most powerful team in the last 10 years inside of scoring efficiency. Alabama, I believe it was 2009. They were number one in the country in scoring efficiency on offense. 
They were number one in the country in scoring efficiency on defense, and their pace of play on offense was 129th out of 130. <laughs> they, 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 they were, I mean, they were the, one of the slowest playing teams in football, but when you got down a couple of scores, the number of plays you were going to get to run got limited. Now, that is, there's twofold to that. Number one, that's what Cristobal knows, and that's what he saw successful at Alabama. So I think he's going to try to replicate that. But it also helps Arroyo, and another, this is kind of a backhanded compliment, it may help him get better because he has to call fewer plays. Gotcha. Okay. okay. So it's, it's a game control kind of thing. So I do expect him to go that route. Now, I know Duck Fan is used to up-tempo, big scoring, this, that, and the other. But, you know, to me, it's, it's equally effective being slow. And if you look at last year, if you look at your playoff teams, you had three te- four teams in the playoffs. Three of them were in the bottom half of plays per game per minute in college football. So we've seen football slow down. We've seen more success on the slower side of it. So as a Duck fan, don't be afraid to see that tempo come back because it's a way that Mario was successful or he saw success at Alabama, and I think he's going to try to replicate that at Oregon. Talking with Dave Bartu, College Football Matrix, he says on Twitter he's your radio station's favorite guest, and I can just tell from the time we've had you on, Dave, I can tell why. Uh, love what you've said so far. Love your tone. Love your energy. Uh, Duck fans might not love the prediction, though. <laughs> um, it, it, I, I think it's safe to say you don't see the expectation that a lot of fans see of a college football playoff or, or even a New Year's Six Bowl kind of team. Uh, who do you think could take that mantle out of the Pac-12? Well, that's that's kind of the cool thing for for Oregon. I mean, if you're looking at at trying to be wide open, okay. Look, I, I know I'm down on the offensive coordinator, and I know I'm down on the schedule. Look, Vegas set the total for these guys at eight and a half wins. Okay, and just on pure talent and where the games are played, it's an eight and four season. All right. You look at Cristobal over his career, uh, he doesn't have positive coach effect. Last year it was negative four games. So, you know, if he's even coach effect, it's an eight and four season. If he has the best year ever as a head coach, plus one, he's at nine and three. So that gets you in the top 25, but, you know, the opportunity on the New Year's Bowl side of it, um, I think is there because if you look in the North, you, you don't have a better recruiter than Oregon. From a talent standpoint, you can stack up everybody on Oregon right there side-by-side side with Washington and Stanford. All right. Now, I would say, by the numbers, Washington and Stanford both have better coaching staffs. So that's where they can overcome Oregon from the talent perspective. But Oregon still has the talent. That's why the opportunity is there. That's why it's so great. And I don't think – does Oregon even have USC on the schedule this year? Yes. They do? Okay, yes. or is it UCLA they miss? Uh, they miss UCLA, have USC uh, in California. And they don't have Utah. Uh, I need to, I can't remember. They so, don't, no, they don't have know, Utah. It's, it's not that USC is some sort of juggernaut right now, but if you look at the conference as a whole, the, 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 the top recruiters, your, your Oregon, your UCLA, your USC, your, your top talent locations, um, aren't staffed let's say, like a Utah, Washington, or a Stanford. You know, and that's where they want to go. So this season gives an opportunity, and this is why I believe you see in the Utes getting talked up so much, because the Utes don't have a Power 5 team on their non-conference schedule. They skip Stanford, no, they skip Oregon, and they skip Stanford. So from a schedule standpoint, 
it's a, it, you know, they're, they're a top 15 school. You know, you, you get full power UCLA, you get full power USC, you put Oregon and Stanford on the schedule, and all of a sudden they might be 7-5. and five. Same team, but different schedule. Right. So, to me, it, it's a great opportunity, nevertheless, for Oregon, because in the Pac-12, I don't see anybody that's dominant. You know, you have really good coaching staffs in, in some spots, but not dominant talent. Oregon has top two talent in the conference. They just don't have the dominant coaching factor of it yet. USC doesn't have that either. So I, I think taking away from it, you know, or at least going into the season, the optimism is it is wide open. And even though I'm saying eight and four, or last, even though Vegas is saying over under at eight and a half, um, and there's there's you know coaching concerns, you can't deny the talent. And talent does win games. They get a couple of breaks, and they they could end up as a ten and two plus team and in a New York Six Bowl. So for you, I guess uh, for you for you Utah is probably the team to beat. It sounds like in in the Pac-12 ultimately. Ultimately, right now, the best combination of talent and coaching is at Washington right now. All right? Uh, Utah, I wouldn't say they're the team to beat because from a talent perspective, I think they're sixth right. or seventh in, in the conference. They're, they're just given the benefit that USC is down, UCLA is down, Arizona State's down, Colorado is a new head coach, Arizona has a second-year head coach. Um, you know, you put Utah in a lot of other conferences or divisions. Heck, impact the Pac-12 at full strength. You know, you 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 get good coaching at UCLA, USC, and Oregon. Um, you know, you're going to look at Utah differently as well. So that that's why I really believe it is as wide open as anything right now, and it's a great opportunity. Uh, for everybody, it, not just Oregon. I mean, Washington, Stanford, Utah, I think the dangerous team, super dangerous team nobody's talking about at all in the north is Cal because they are going to have a great defense again. They've been on a roll defensively, and I'm still waiting for the Baldwin offense to kick in. Right. And right. I think the other super dangerous team is USC. Yeah. You know, And <laughs> look, I'm the first to tell you, they ain't winning anything significant with Helton. They're not winning anything significant with Pendergrass. But with their new offensive coordinator and the talent they have, they can just outscore and bludgeon a lot of teams to death if they can get it together. So uh, the, the, the Pac-12 to me is really intriguing because it is wide open, and trying to quantify and predict everything is very difficult when everybody isn't clicking on all cylinders. And you, you, you mentioned one of the things I mentioned with USC as, as, well, as well myself is that they have the talent, specifically at wide receiver and offensively, to get in a lot of shootouts this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like you say, with that offensive coordinator, that's a team that you know, probably ends up winning some games because of that, loses some games because they can't play defense along the way. Really intriguing team. Another intriguing team to me with a, with a wide range of outcomes, in my opinion, is Washington. I know you like the coaches up there. Their talent's trending up, I believe, schedule-wise. I think they're in the middle. What do you, what do you see from, from the Huskies? Yeah, it's, it's hard to you know, discount the coaching there. I mean, between what Peterson has done um, at Boise State, albeit Boise State was the number one recruiter in their conference the entire time, um, but how quickly he turned the talent 
at Washington. Their recruiting is trending up, but uh, in terms of being close to, let's say, a USC or an Oregon, they're still a long ways away from it. Uh, but I don't think the, the coaching can be denied, denied in terms of its ability. I mean, you know, <laughs> as much as you might like uh, Mario, um, but, you know, could you imagine Peterson and staff at Oregon or at USC? Right, right. I mean, it would be scary. Right. Right? I mean, it's just, that's no different than saying, you know, Chip Kelly and their whole staff uh, that was at Oregon was at USC and had USC talent. It had been, you know, likely unbeatable. You right. know, so that's the great thing about college football is talent can be balanced with development and coaching. So with Washington, I think they're always on the edge, you know, between a, a really good team uh, and, a, and a team that loses, you know, a few more games than you expect because the coaching staff seems to keep them right there. But from, from a talent standpoint, is it a playoff? You know, is it a national championship contender? Absolutely not. They're a long ways from that. Uh, they've lived a long time so far uh, and gotten better and more respect through their coaching. But I think their talent still has a long ways to go to uh, to be at a at a national level where they're competing, where their fans want to be. And my question to you on that is: I've felt that since Sarkeesian left, Peterson took over the recruiting has trended down until this past cycle. Is that a reasonable take from what you've seen from an analytic standpoint? Well, let's take a look at, you know, I can, I can quickly real take, pull up the chart here on Washington. I, I think uh, they're trending. They're definitely trending up done. now. I know in the first couple of seasons off the top of my head, you're correct. The trend was slightly down for them. Um, you know, Sarkeesian, his best class was in 2013. That was a number 12 class. And then he followed it up with, you know, 36, 26, 37, just not very good classes. And that's kind of what Peterson uh, inherited. So what he actually did with Sarkeesian's talent was, was pretty darn good. Right. Uh, the last two years, uh, you have a number 11 class and a number 14 class. That puts them 21st in the country going into this season. So they are like a mm, South Carolina sure. uh, level. Um, not as good as Penn State. Uh, they're like Nebraska. Actually, the Nebraska is another really good comparison there, too. In the conference, they're now fourth. If you look, you know, this century, or at least the last 10 years, they've been between third, the third and sixth best recruiter in the conference. So right now they're fourth. The only one ahead of them is you know UCLA, Oregon, USC. So if they can if they can keep pulling these classes 11, 14, and get themselves into that top 15 range, then they're uh, then they're a fringe national championship contender. There's only one top uh, top recruiter recruiter outside the top 10 that has won a national title this century from recruiting from outside the top ten, that's Clemson. They did it on the shoulders of Deshaun Watson. And if you look at all the other programs that have made a national title game that weren't top ten recruiters and lost, they had NFL quarterbacks. Marcus Mariota, Marcus Vick. Um, you know, you look at Deshaun Watson even the year before <clears throat> uh, when they lost to Alabama. Right. Uh, the only real wild card there is Oregon with, with Darren Thomas. <laughs> the only example. In the last 20 years of a team outside the top 10 in recruiting that didn't have a first-round draft pick NFL quarterback that even made the national title game. So Washington, to me, just like Oregon, has a couple more years to go to get to that fringe national championship contender level. But I think both of them are on track right now. Washington has to catch up in recruiting. Oregon has to catch up in coaching. 
Uh, Let's go in reverse a little bit. Dave Bartu, College Football Matrix, our guest. Dave, in the very first question, you rattled off three points that that really defined your perspective on the Ducks. You talked about schedule, coaching, and and, uh, talent. Mm -hmm. I want to know, from a process standpoint, how how don't you kind of point at those three things for how you see the game? Oh, dude, I get, well, when did it start? 2008. Um, I was, uh, I was driving down I-5. I was going through Twilliger Curves in Portland. And I was in between, going in between my two analytical jobs. Uh, at the time, I was working for Wells Fargo in consumer finance, and I was doing analytics on consumer behavior for them to target uh, people taking products, which actually I came up with a marketing program, a national one that they still use today. The analytics were so strong, and then I was working on another one uh, up on with Providence um, on medical evaluations using analytics. And I was driving, and I was listening to Colin Cowherd. And at that time, he was at 1080 The Fan. He was right. at ESPN National. Still doing the Fox. local I mean, show. This was just you know the herd right. on 1080 The Fan, right. and um, he was talking about college football and all of his friends in Vegas, and everything was talent, 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 talent. That's where it all is in college football. And so it got me thinking, it's like, well, and this is about the time, you know, the, 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 the real world of recruiting and stars and rankings started about 2000, um, and this was 2008. And I'm thinking, okay, I have a pretty good sample size. And at that time, that's when people were starting to talk about Phil Knight and more money and competing for a national title. And I just kind of put it together in my head, and I said, okay, what does it take to win a national title? Is it that simple? Is it talent-oriented? And I looked back to the seven previous national title winners after pulling everything up. I created basically the first ever composite recruiting ranking. You know, the, compo- the, the word composite recruiting, as you guys know it today on 247, yeah, that was bogarted from me that I created a decade and a half ago. Wow. So the, the, the first true composite rankings were actually back in the beginning of 2008. And I started looking at, okay, what kind of classes did you have to have? And there was a pattern there. And it was a very clear pattern. This is how you had to recruit to win a national title. And that's when I created the first national title pool of contenders. And it was nine teams for 2008. The winner was in it. 2010, the winner was in it. 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. The winner was in it every time. It actually got boring. So I actually refined it. And that's where the, whole, that's where the coaching aspect came in. The scheduling aspect came in. Over the last 20 years, there's not a single national title winner. That wasn't top 25 in my scoring efficiency rankings from the year before. There wasn't a, there's not a single national title winner in the last 20 years that didn't go into the season with an offense and defensive coordinator with a B-minus grade or better in our ranking system. Mm. So that's why this year there's only four. There's only four teams in college football that check off all the boxes of every national title winner of the last 20 years. Georgia, Alabama, Michigan, and Oklahoma. Everybody else is on the outside looking in. Wow, that doesn't. I mean, if you think about it, that doesn't surprise me. But that's still amazing to think about. Clemson's not on that list, right? You know, last year Alabama was. I remember going on Paul Feinbaum last year, and you know, he already knew what the answer was, but he wanted me to say it on national radio. And he's like, "So I hear you're not high on Alabama." I said, "Don't bet them. They're not going to win it. Their offensive coordinator is so bad that he will cost them a game at some point." And dude, it was the fifteenth game, and that was the sweetest thing ever. I'm really surprised to hear you say Michigan in that group. Uh, just 
again, I'm not a Harbaugh guy. Right. I just never have. I always, I think he's a negative coaching effect personally, but that's just personal bias. So <laughs> oh, that is a bias. Yeah, he was unbelievable at Stanford. Now, what he's done at Michigan is about average. He has not done anything special at Michigan. Right. Okay, what he did at Stanford compared to what he did at Michigan, the job he did at Stanford is by far and away a much better job. I agree. Okay, now we know Michigan, though. I think we could probably agree there's something going on behind that curtain that we don't understand. There's a culture back there. There's an entitlement or something in there that holds everything back. Remember when Rich Rod got hired? Yes. Oh, man. It was going to change was the game. high as a kite on that one. I was yeah. like, oh, this is going to kick some ass. Yep. Because he really did good, good things at West Virginia. Nope. He got booted out. You know, and, and, it, and if you go back, it's almost, and you saw this at Texas for a really long time. Yeah. Uh, when a team wins a national title, they work so hard to get there. And then when it happens, it's so easy to let your guard down and become entitled that that's where you belong. That's the most amazing thing in Nick Saban, is he's been able to keep that focus. But you look at Michigan, they won that national title. It's almost been 20 years. It's been a huge slide. But when you look at Michigan, three of their last four classes, top 10. A defensive coordinator, top 5% in the country. Right. New offensive coordinator, boom. Ohio State is going to be down this year. There's a window of opportunity there as well. So, uh, and if you look at Michigan last year, their total uh, scoring efficiency for the season was 11th in the country. This is a really good team that got a little bit better at the offensive coordinator position. And with Ohio State being down as well, uh, I think it really plays in their hands in terms of an opportunity to play for a national title. And I think what you alluded to with Michigan and Texas, in my opinion, is just an opinion of mine from from within, is I I think you start to allow – heavy boosters to influence the program too much and the ad to uh, you know uh, impact things too much and, and i don't think rich rod was able to do what he really wanted to do while he was there at michigan i think texas the same thing you know they allow the boosters to kind of control things more manipulate things more than they should i think what you said about nick saban at alabama is 100 percent correct he keeps those guys at an arm's length and doesn't let them impact the program i think they've nailed you know the the profile there. They've na- they've nailed the formula, but you know, unfortunately, not not everyone can do that. Money talks, as mm-hmm. we know. <laughs> oh yeah, and it's, it's just so hard, you know. And then emotionally too, you got to remember is, um, you know, you go on. Uh, yeah, I've been. Uh, you and I have both been on the field a ton of times after duck games, you know. Yep. And and some of the players are still milling around, and it's just huge players everywhere. But they're still eighteen to twenty two year old. Right. You know, and they're still emotional. They're not professionals. They've been number one at this sport since the day they were born. And so there's so much emotion involved, you know, and the media crush and everything around it is so hard to ignore. Um, and, and I think that's really tough for the programs is, you know, trying to insulate these guys and not have them hear the noise that's out there, that they don't hear the chatter. You know, I mean, I'm sure if you talk to Mario right now, the best thing that, you know, the players can do right now is not hear anything. No expectations, right. no ceiling, no this, no that. Just go play football every Saturday one game at a time. But we know that's impossible. That's why managing those emotions is a very, very underrated and difficult job for head coaches and athletic departments in general. Definitely. No, that's a great point that you raised there, David. And obviously something that you can't put into a metric, you know, unfortunately. But yeah, like you said, the outside pressure and factors are huge on any team, any coach. I want to send you off with this, and it's just to reflect. As far as the Pac-12 goes, 
it sounds to me like from talking to you, you view this as a three horse race, if you will, Washington, Oregon, and Utah. Is that somewhat fair to kind of summarize your thoughts on this on this uh, conference? Um, in a way, um, I think it's even more wide open than that. I, I think you're two. I think there's three dangerous teams outside of that. You, you have your favorites there, sure. and I believe you have your favorites in Utah, Washington, and Oregon because of schedule and stability. Right. And talent. I think Oregon's is being driven on the talent profile more so than anything. Washington's being driven on reputation and their coaching. Utah's being driven on uh, their player development and their coaching staff and the fact that the rest of the South is perceived down. But you also have three other very dangerous teams out there. Stanford has a brutal schedule, but their talent is good and their coaching staff is great. USC... Super dark horse. In fact, if I was betting on the South right now for a value, I'd bet on USC. Right. Just simply because they have so much more talent than everybody else. And last and certainly not least, and probably maybe the most dangerous team in the conference, Chip Kelly and UCLA. Really? I love it. Oh, I love man. it. I've said right? it for years. I mean, come on, dude. Look what, you know, come on. I'm a duck fan, man. I'm going to, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take off my Matrix tinfoil hat right now. What he did at Oregon was so darn special. Right. You know, I mean, people don't, I mean, they don't even give him really true credit for it. Nope. You know, I mean, ultimately the best coach we've ever had was Mike Bellotti. Because right. he went and found Chip, groomed Chip, took ownership of it, hired Chip, pushed him in there. And then what Chip did was, other than winning a national title, was on level with Saban and Meyer. He just didn't have the talent. If he had number one, number two, number three talent, he would have killed people. If DeAnthony Thomas makes that block against Stanford and, and they don't <laughs> kick a field goal and they score a touchdown, Oregon beats the crap out of Notre Dame for their only national title. Yeah, It was unbelievable. And because of what UCLA did last year, everybody's discounting them. You know? Don't do that. I think sleeping on UCLA is really dangerous. I know Jim Morris sucked. He was a good recruiter, but he's a terrible coach for seven years. So seven years down, seven years out, it's going to take a long time. But then this is why I go back. This, the north and the south, it's wide open for everybody. There's no powerful team. None of them are. And anybody, any of those six teams, if they won their division and then ultimately won the conference, they all have justification behind them numerically right now. And it shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. No, you uh, you know, it's funny because I've said on the show with Matt, we've said it a bunch of times, everybody compares Oregon's offenses now to the Chip Kelly offense. And I continue to bang the drum. You can't do that. You can't take the most special electric offense you will ever see at Oregon and right. then compare every offense after that. They're never going to stack up. I mean, he's just a genius. He's an absolute genius. But they can stack up. I'm just going to twist this a little bit for you. It's not going to stack up from the speed and the number standpoint. But remember what I said about scoring efficiency. Yes. It has nothing to do with style of play. It has everything to do with efficiency scoring the football. Okay? So, so this Mario team and whoever the offensive coordinator is, it's a royal offense. Okay, it could it could run half as many plays, and and on paper it's not going to be as sexy and 600 yards a game and 63 to three or whatever the score is going to be. Right, mm -hmm. uh, it, it is the efficiency with the football, and that's the, one of the things that I've learned in all these numbers is it doesn't matter what offense and defense you run, it doesn't matter. It's how good are you at coaching your scheme against your opponent. Yeah, and that's I think. I guess the way I speak it is to a, a casual fan that watches. And like we said, we, you know, we see these big run plays under the Chip Kelly offense, the big flash plays in 45 seconds, and it'll never be that. But like you said, there's way more to it 
you know, than just big plays. It's about obviously running your scheme and running it effectively uh, and ultimately scoring more points than your opponent at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, well, was it fun? Oh, my gosh, yes. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, there was, I, I remember I was at a duck game and we were playing UCLA and the Stanford game was just kicking off up at Oregon State, right? And I got all my duck gear on. I mean, I got my, my bright yellow pants. I got my white and green plaid jacket. I mean, it is obnoxious time. And my buddy Darren and I are, are we're watching the game. We're like, okay, dude, here's the deal. When we go up 21 points, we're going to the Oregon State game. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and it's, they were just, and by the end of the third quarter, boom, score touchdown. Okay, they're up 21. This game's over. And we raced up to Corvallis. And then I bought a scalped ticket which happened to already be used, and the manager was laughing at me so hard, uh, the ticket manager, she let me in with a used ticket. It had already been punched, but she figured I would just get my ass kicked based right. on what I was wearing inside of Corvallis, <laughs> uh, which it was actually pretty scary. <laughs> I was like, oh, my gosh, I've never done anything like this. Right. We were, like, in the end zone. I was trying to talk the cops into letting me storm the field and tackle me and drag me out because I figured that'd be safer than trying to leave the stadium. We right. had to leave early, but God, those were some fun times when those Kelly offenses were rolling. Yeah, it was It was definitely, you know, just, it was literally, you know, you'd be at the game or watching the game, whatever, and you'd just turn around and be like, oh, Oregon scored again. I'll be darned. You know, it's just, it was unreal at, at certain points. Um, I'm going to ask you one quick question just because we're going to wrap up, but I have a curiosity here. Uh, you mentioned Mario as a negative coach effect, uh, at least to date. Mm-hmm. How my question is how much of that is attributed to I know that you score Marcus Arroyo negatively as an offensive coordinator does that score drag down Mario's score as well I'm just asking how that works no, in it's analytics. A, it's, no it's not it's not correlated okay you know, the, the the offensive and defensive coordinators uh, what we do um, in a simple nutshell is is we look at their overall efficiency and their pace of play. You know, and um, and also the talent that they're facing. Gotcha. You know, so so if you have so for example, you know, the offensive coordinator at Utah um, versus their schedule, and the offensive coordinator at Alabama versus their schedule, you also have to look at Alabama and Utah's talent as well. Right. So just just because you're a great caller, look, Alabama's talent is so good it made Loxley look like a great offensive coordinator. <laughs> right. Dude, he sucks. <laughs> I mean, he is bottom five percent, and it took fifteen games, you know. And, and but Alabama's talent's so great, you know. You have to be able to weigh these guys based on the schedule and talent they have around them. Gotcha. You so, know, so, so they're independent the numbers. numbers have gone up because his first year as a play caller was good with Oregon. Gotcha. It was really good. But, you know, the, other, the previous two years that he had column plays, not so much. You know, last year, much easier schedule, a little bit better talent, worse results. You know, so we, we try to balance these things. Is it perfect? No. Uh, but it's also not a reflection of the head coach. Gotcha. What it does reflect on the head coach, though, is his ability to hire and fire. Right. Which is That's a factor. the other thing you got to look at. Is is he willing to get rid of somebody? You know, if Arroyo has another bad year, let's say Oregon is thirty fifth or worst in offensive scoring efficiency, with one of the best, you know, with one of the best offensive lines, with a first round NFL quarterback. Apparently, you know, we got to see some improvement, right? I right. mean, I think all Duck fans have got to be like, okay, if we were thirty fifth last year, we have to be better this year. That's fair, and that's fair. You know, no, I totally. And agree if it's with that. not, now here comes the coaching part. You know, in terms of the behaviors and tracking these head coaches is if things go bad, are you willing to fire somebody? Right. And then if you fire somebody, 
do you hire the same guy? Right. Or do you hire a good guy? Do you upgrade? You know, yeah. Boise State was a... Actually, Boise State, that hire of, of the defensive coordinator gave me more faith in Mario than anything he's done so far. Because he didn't go next man up. Right. He got rid of Jim Levitt, figured out a way out of that. They went out and they got a top five available guy to fit the offense he wants to run. That, of all the things he's done so far, that was the best thing I've seen out of that guy. When you... Uh, compile your information uh, I know you've got three main factors so you've got talent you've got schedule and you've got coaching mm-hmm. how much is each section weighted into that result I guess if you will uh, it's a, it's about a uh, round round numbers it's about a 65 25 10 okay and what okay, 65% gotcha. talent 25% coaching 10% schedule gotcha so talents right. the trump card ultimately yeah yeah, well, the, the talent's the big one. Gotcha. I mean, that's that's the, that's what correlates success or lack thereof more than anything. Sure. And I know a lot of people go, "Oh no, coaching's way more important." Look, folks, if you're listening right now, if you want to take the time, go on your computer, and I'll even send you the spreadsheet of the of the moving average, my composite moving average of every team for the last 15 years, and you go through and you add up all the number one recruiters and their win totals every year for the last 15 years. And the number twos, and the number threes, and the number fours, and the number fives. You know, everybody can point out the individual season where Texas went four and eight, and USC is down. But when you look at the long term, the group that wins has won more games than anybody else. The number ones. Guess who's second? The number twos. Third? <laughs> the number threes. Fourth? Oh, the number. It's it's right on down the line until you get to number seven, where Wisconsin upsets the apple cart there. But on the upper end of it, long term, talent is biggest bulk of it and then it's the coaching interesting well i guess that's why we pay when i guess you know why i pay so much attention to recruiting then now dave (laughs) yeah well that's why everybody should yeah but you also got to take some of it with a grain of salt too sure uh we we've actually over the last few years we've never published it i only give it to athletic directors and head coaches um but we actually have our own recruiting rankings too and it's rooted in the analytics of starter potential based on the class is your composite rankings a lot different than twenty four seven composite rankings? Just um, the, the the ones I use publicly. Um, I don't know if they're that much different than two four sevens because two four seven actually doesn't tell you what they do. Right. They don't tell you where it pulls from. They don't tell you what they weigh. Right. Hell, CBS owns two four seven and Scout, and they use the same exact information. What if they double up and use it twice to make their numbers look good? Correct. So, you know, I mean, everybody quotes it, but it's like, you're quoting something you don't even know the basis of. Yes. I've never used ESPN, and I've always used the two best available. That used to be Rivals and Scout, then 247 plundered a lot of that, and now it's Rivals and 247. Right. You know? Seems fair. Um, but, but our internal private one actually looks by position. So when you're looking at stars, it's cool to look at quarterbacks, wide receivers, safeties, running backs, and the stars. But when you start looking at the trenches... Ignore the stars. Look for six four and bigger. Got That's length. my hint for the day. Yeah, length, length, length at receiver, length on the line. That's can't coach big. Yep, can't coach. That's why the bigger guy beats the little guy, according to Mario Cristobal. <laughs> so that's 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 exactly. his so that's that his offensive guy line. Six three three zero three already. Guess yeah. what? He's already peaked out. Yeah. No, thank you. Yeah. Give me the six six guy that's two seventy. That the Utahs and the Wisconsins and and everybody else turns into a monster by the time they're a junior. Yeah. Yep. Nope. No, it was an interesting story I heard from Coach Cristobal back in, you know, when he was with Saban and, you know, Saban was telling him, hey, why does, uh, you know, why does boxing have weight classes? It's because the big guy would beat up the little guy. 
and he says, go get me the big guys. <laughs> yeah, so, Bingo. There you go. Bingo, and especially when you're talking about 15 games. Right, yeah. You know, it's different. If, there, if this was a 10-game schedule, you could get away with it more. Every time a game is added, it's harder and harder to win. There's more and more attrition, you know? Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's where, to me, the, the big guy is going to win those, those long battles. Definitely. No, that, that's a good point, too. Yeah, like you said, it's a long season. It's not five, ten games or whatever you might be. It's, it's 12, 13 games, potentially. Yeah. But, uh, yep. Si- size and depth. Well, for Oregon, isn't that the goal? Yes. I'm an all-Oregon fan. You want to get back there. You want to feel that again. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. I mean, I was, I, was in, I was in the stands in Phoenix when they played Auburn. You know, I, yeah. want, I want to feel that again, too. I want to go to that game again. It's electric, you know? isn't it? And it's believe electric. they have a chance. And to do that, you have to have the size and you have to have the depth, and that's all starts in the recruiting. Yeah. Well, the good news is, is Oregon's trending up in that regard, according to you, which is a big part of the part of the equation, I guess, if you will. So that's a that's at least a, a reason for optimism. Absolutely. Well, Dave, we uh, we always appreciate you, and I'm glad we had you on. And and uh, you know we've taken up a lot of your time, but it, great stuff as always. And uh, we're going to get you on again here real soon. You guys know where I'm at. I mean, I'm right here in your backyard. I'm here in Forest Grove. I haven't left Oregon, and when did I arrive? 1989. <laughs> and you're not leaving anytime soon. No, not yeah. leaving anytime soon. You know, I'm I, and I'm stoked this weekend. We get college football yes. and yeah. uh, elk archery season opens up. So, <laughs> cheers. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Have a good one. That was amazing. Yes, I, no. I've never spoken to Dave Bartu, and. He does radio hits on uh, Kenzano's show mm-hmm. in Portland and, and some of the other stations. I've always missed him. I've never caught it. Now I know what I'm missing. My goodness. That guy, it, that was incredible. Yeah. It, I mean, it, it, you know, for starters, clearly he has no problem, you know, talking or sharing or any of that kind of stuff, which is great. I mean, you and I both know when you're doing this and you get the person that has no problem talking for one or two minutes at a time versus the two sentence answers. You know, it's it's a big difference. It makes our job a lot easier. Yeah. You know, to to have somebody on that's obviously you know educated and passionate about what they're doing. Um, you know, I think for Duck fans, I think it's especially enlightening because Dave has such a interest in the Ducks and what they're doing. But at the same time, I think he does a really good job of removing emotion. I don't think you find many people that will say that they have a negative coaching effect on Mario Cristobal. You know, overall, most people are pretty happy with what he's doing. But And Dave's not using that as, as an indictment. He's simply saying, hey, look, the analytics suggest this. Here's what's happened up till now. Right. You, you're not grabbing the crystal ball. You are looking at what has happened in the past. Sure. What can we quantify from that? And and what, what, what do those calculations say? Sure. And it doesn't mean if we have him on this time next year that it's a different result. Right. You know, hey, look. He did these things well this year. Recruiting is obviously a big part of his form, form, uh, formula. You know, Oregon's recruiting well there. You know, can the offense take that next step and be a little bit more efficient, as he suggested? Um, you know, there's a lot. It's just it's all interesting stuff that, again, when you're simply looking at numbers, and, and sure, it's not a perfect formula. It's not a perfect – and there is no perfect. There's, there's no way to quantify certain elements of football. Right. That, that's the, I, I say this as a nerd – as somebody that part of why I loved getting a chance to speak with Dave mm-hmm. is I am the reader. I'm the guy that I dive into football outsiders and I look for, uh, say, Ben Baldwin at The Athletic is, is great in terms of NFL advanced stats. You look at Dave Bartu, he's got a process for the same thing sure. of analytics and football. You're never going to 
get everything in football. Right. It's it's a 53-man game. Yeah. There, there's too many moving parts, but you can answer a lot of mysteries yeah. and, and kind of reveal what's behind the mask. Well, and, and again, as he said uh, himself, you know, we're still trying to quantify 18, 19, 20-year-olds. There's so many different variables there. You know, you know I mean, Justin Herbert, by all accounts, is a, a, a first-round quarterback, NFL quarterback. He still makes mistakes right. because he's 18, 19, 20 years old. Right. Uh, first-round first quarterback, but he still only throws to his first read. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you know, it's just it's just one of those things that uh, – and it makes the game of football fun. That, that's the thing about college football. It, it – uh, College football trumps the NFL by so far right now for me in terms of of enjoyment, simply because of the variables of the players. And secondly, because every week is essentially a one week playoff. You know, if you lose in football, it puts you behind the eight ball. You can only lose once, twice, maybe three times if you're absolutely fortunate. Right. But, you know, the NFL, you could lose five, six, seven times. You're still a playoff team, which which is fine. That's fine. You can't do that in college football, you know, and, and not every game is you know, a top 10 matchup, but it's still, you still got to win the dang game. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if, uh, if the new England Patriots go out there and lose to the Cleveland Browns last year, yeah, it doesn't look good, but they can survive that. Mm-hmm. They're still going to make the playoffs because of the other 12 wins. You know, if Oregon goes out and loses to Montana, they're in deep shit, yeah. you know? Uh, so anyways, yeah, I, that's just why I enjoy, you know, college football that much more personally. Um, and that- I, that would be like App State 2.0. <laughs> yeah. Lose to Montana. That's right, huh? Yeah. Never forget App State. Um, no. So, anyways, bar two on. Jacob was on earlier before Dave. It's been a terrific podcast. I thought it was it was excellent, very informative. Um, and I I do. I've said this before. I do appreciate somebody that doesn't just jump on and say Mario Chris Ball's the best. They're recruiting great. Everything's you know, roses and peaches and, you know, you're going to win a national championship. Right. I want someone that comes on and says, Hey, look, I don't have that outlook. I don't see it. Here's why. And at least, you know, Dave comes on and says, here's, here's why I, you know, see this, this way. It's this fact, it's this analytic, it's this measurement, um, and has reason for it. Is he, you know, bashing Mario Cristobal? Absolutely not. He's not bashing Marcus Arroyo. He's simply saying, here's what we've seen so far. Here's how I would grade them. Hopefully this year they can change that. And, and that's ultimately what he's saying. So love hearing that side of things versus just somebody that comes on and says, yeah, it's the greatest. We're going to win everything. Here we go. You know, so good podcast. Great podcast. Yeah. Really killing long, it. really long podcast. I think. Yeah. He, he's <laughs> a killer guest. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was a blast. Dave Bartu, you're going to want to listen to this Ducks fans, especially one last thing. And we'll wrap on this. I, I read the site. I like to read people's comments. I like to glean, not just when you post the podcast, mm-hmm. I like to read all of those comments, but You're I a like lurker. to glean, I do. <laughs> I like to glean what people are thinking about what you write and sure. about what Jacob and, and the other guys write and, and what the fan thinks about the team. Sure. And our expectations are all sky high. Yes. So I, I love getting a chance like we just did to kind of put a different perspective on Bring that. it down a notch. Yeah. Yeah, I think. Or at least level us out. Some balance. Yeah, like some balance. Level is a good word. Right. Yeah. So that, that's what that was. Dave Bartu leveled all of us out and, and gave us some good perspective before football season. Yes. Uh, you've got some errands to run. i got to get some food. Oh, I yeah. think we can put a bow on this podcast. Yeah, I think we've we've ran our hour and then some, but uh, great podcast. And best of all, next week, it's Auburn. Auburn week next week. 
We got a game to talk about. We got football. Are you kidding me? Football. We can talk about the Florida Miami game from this weekend, and then we can talk about the Ducks and Auburn coming up next weekend. The U next and week. the O. I yeah. love it. Yeah. I love it. Hey, uh, one last thing. Food for thought. We'll yeah. just we'll just ask this question. Do you think the Chip Kelly Ducks ever get a thirty for thirty? No way. Chip would never go for it. Chip would that is totally anti-Chip. I just. All I mean, the, all the conversation we had today. I'm thinking. Yeah. 30 for 30. I, I think it would be brilliant, and I think if you're the UCLA AD, you would be all about it and say, Chip, you're doing this. I just, But I think Mike Leach's is going to be freaking brilliant. <laughs> like, that's going, that is absolute must-watch TV. Oh, that is, that the is, pirate on yes, hard knocks. That, I can't wait That is that. essence Mike Leach right there. That is, yes, no doubt. That's G- perfect. Give me 50 minutes of marriage advice and give me 10 minutes of football. Like Nick Saban would never do it for the same reason Chip Kelly wouldn't. You know, I don't think Ch- I don't think Nick would allow it either. Yeah. You don't uh, want to see that side of him. If Sabes <laughs> did it, I say this as a Raider fan. If Saban did it, it would be worse than the Raider hard knocks. Yeah, it would be so uh, locked down, locked tight. Players don't say anything. Right. Coaches say less. Vanilla. Yeah. Yeah. With Mike Leach, we don't know what to expect. I can't no, wait for that. No, that oh. that's going to be a beauty, oh. and that's that's like that's the perfect marriage. I mean that that show and Mike Leach were made for each other. Yes. Yeah. It's it's history has converged to this point. <laughs> yes. All right. Scoop Duck and Hi Fi. Listen on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you want to listen to your podcasts. It's probably there. Plus, you can always listen to the pod on scoopduck.com. Download it there, too, if you want to riff with it, play with it, keep it on your computer for whatever reason. And uh, rate it as well. Those ratings are good. They help. It all helps, people. Please. Help help us help you. All right. I like that motto. Help us help you. Justin Hopkins, Matt Bagley. Thanks to Dave Bartu and Jacob Archer. Have a great day, everybody. I can do this night life all day long.